0: Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. This past weekend was Hollywood's biggest night, and of course, best looks. Behind the most striking on the carpet was the image architect himself, Law Roach. Then suddenly he posted that he was retiring. That sent the internet into a rightful tizzy with everyone asking, why was the Beyonce of styling retiring? So on this episode of In Her Shoes, we step inside his shoes with an exclusive interview featuring Law Roach giving us the details on his retirement, what led up to this moment in his life and what's coming next. So let's get into it first. Mm -hmm. Are you retiring?
1: I'm definitely retiring from celebrity styling. I'm not retiring from fashion because I love it so much. But celebrity styling, being of service to other people in a way that I've been of service to them, Uh um, I'm retiring from that.
0: You're just coming off of dressing some of the biggest celebrities Mm -hmm. at uh, the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Mm -hmm. You also won the CFDA Award for Best Stylist. Mm -hmm. You're at the top of your game right now, so why do this now?
1: Isn't it always best to leave it when you're on the top? <laughs> the real reason is that it's been building for a while because I looked up one day and honestly realized that I'm not happy. you know, um, I'm not happy, and i um I haven't been happy, honestly, in a really long time the culmination of everything that's been happening in my career these last few days kind of just really pushed me over the edge and just like, you know what? Like I've done everything. I'm very grateful that I've been able to move and climb in this industry the way I have, but I can't say that I didn't do that without suffering, you know? And, and I think as black people in this country, um, we are raised and, um, kind of is embedded in us to suffer, right? We feel like to be successful, we have to suffer. You know, you suffer through things to get to the to the other side. You know, you suffer through earth to get to heaven. You know what I mean? And so I think that's just in our DNA as African-Americans. And I've been suffering for years. And yesterday when I made that post and shit, it's like it's been so long ago, but it was literally the day before yesterday, yeah. Monday. Um, and I made that post because I felt like I couldn't breathe and me f- releasing that and letting the world know that I'm done with this was the first time that whole week that I really felt like I took a breath, a deep breath. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's like, I don't want to suffer no more. I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want to be um, at the beck and call of people and their teams. and, and yeah, I, I just, I, I want to take some time and figure out, you know, how to live.
0: Yeah. What was going through your mind when you put up that Instagram post?
1: So that morning I got a call from one of my clients and it was her, her publicist. And then they connected somebody from a brand, you know, that I'm supposed to do a project with. And, you know, last week for us, Oscars week building up to vanity Fair Oscars is some of the most stressful times in the world and I've always been a stylist that always did multiple clients so I'm trying to prepare for multiple clients that week and even you know I got had a lot of pressure because of Meg it was her first time coming back and anybody seeing her since the trial um I wanted to make her feel secure and 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 comfortable and and make her feel and look as perfect as possible so that she can have the strength to do what she had to do, you know? So it was all these things. And I found myself on the phone with these three women and I felt like I was defending myself because the one woman from the brand was like, oh, he's not communicating. And, you know, you're not going to have a dress and, and all these things. And, and it was just a lot of like things that were not true, you know? And, you know, that's how we lose clients as stylists. Like somebody from the brand would say something to the publicist, the publicist say something to the client, and then it's this thing. And and I thought I had a really strong relationship with this client. And I thought that she knew that my goal always is to protect my clients. And at that moment, I just didn't feel like I was being protected, you know? Because there's no one who can ever say that they've worked with me that I didn't put my whole heart and soul into them, or that I left them hanging and they didn't have a dress. You know, it just, it's it's never happened. No one can ever say that about me. You know, and I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. We'll do whatever, we'll work it out. And then I got off the phone, I was like, I'm literally depleted from the day before, you know. I'm an extreme empath and everything, I give everything to the point. After that night, I literally was numb. I I bumped into some people. I could barely finish a sentence. It's hard for me to describe my work and my process. And people who work with me know that I'm a dreamer, right? Like, I dream... The look, I dream the hair, the makeup, every accessory. I have to see everything. On those days, I book a car and I drive around and see every one of my clients, you know. And if I, and I try to schedule it so I'm there to zip the dress, you know what I mean? That's important to me. There's other stylists and no shades to anyone, you know, they send their assistance and it is what it is, right? No, I'm like, I need to feel it. You know, and so I was depleted. And then that call was very early, the very next day after, after all that. And then, and one of, and the client was one of the clients that I addressed that night. And it's just like I got off the phone, and I felt like I'm still fighting. I'm still fighting. I'm, I'm still defending myself. And one thing people who work with me also know is I don't like to be managed or feel like I'm being chastised. You know what I mean? Like. That just doesn't work for me or my personality and especially when I feel like I'm giving so much. And I'm doing a job. I'm getting paid to do a job and that's, you know, the real of it. But the care and the love that goes into me to do my job, I just feel like I should sometimes be a little bit more taken care of.
0: Did people reach out to you? Did your clients reach out to you? What has what the past couple of days been like?
1: I've gotten so much love and then I think... S- some people, you know, they want what they want. They're like, well, what does this mean for me? <laughs> like, it means you have to get another stylist. It's really weird because people are like, oh, it's a PR stunt. Or he's just throwing a tantrum. And it's like, no, I'm not. This is real. Like, it's real. I am Again, I'm, I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to suffer. That's real.
0: I know you personally, and I know that you've talked a lot about how... Your upbringing is so different than most people in fashion. As a child, you went to bed hungry. You've always worked so hard that I think people just don't understand of why you work the way you work. Um, How has that played into this feeling of you still feeling like
1: you're suffering? I was having dinner with some other stylists and they're like, you don't have to work like that. Like, why do you why do you work like that? Why why do you put yourself through that? And I was just like, well, if you've never experienced what it feels like to be a child and to go to bed and cry because you're still hungry because there's just nothing else, you will never understand the reason why I work that way. You know, I'm really a street kid. Like my mother was really addicted to drugs and alcohol and I was the oldest of five and, you know, she decided one day to take my brothers and sisters and to leave me, right? And so I literally lived in an abandoned house. Well, it was our house, but it became abandoned, like the no utilities and all that. So I've always had to figure out because she also told me when she left me, well, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? And so when you tell a 13, 14 year old that, that means you have to do whatever you have to do to survive and to eat. You know, and so that, that mentality never left me, you know, and I literally survived from the kindness of other people and being a hustler and right, you know, and like going to the supermarket and like pushing the car back and keeping the quarter or helping people, you know, put their groceries in a car, you know what I mean? So I've always, always had that feeling of you have to figure it out. You have to work, you have to work, you have to work. And then that. That I know a lot of people have this, that that feeling of it could be all over tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So get as much as you can today. And so that's why, you know, people always say, well, you could just do Zendaya and be successful, or whatever. But for me, that wasn't enough. And then I also had that burden of showing people like I'm not a one-trick pony. Like, right. you know, I can do more than her and make my magic with other people as well, other than Zendaya.
0: Right. I mean, you said in your Instagram post that you were tired of the lies and false narratives. What did you mean by that?
1: So what happens with me a lot is that I end up having a real connection with the client, you know, and very quickly it becomes a thing where they trust me and understand me and we have this relationship. And that's not the way it goes, especially in Hollywood you have the gatekeepers, right? You have the the person that's in between you and a client and, you know, all the scheduling and, you know, you have to talk to this person to talk to this person. And and I think what happens is a lot of times they become intimidated by the relationships I'm able to have with the clients personally. And so what happens is <laughs> it becomes a thing like I just don't hear for the client anymore, like, or I'm booked for jobs and then all of a sudden I'm released and, and then, you know, I'll, wait and and I'll bump into the client, the talent at a party or an event or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm always like, Hey, what happened? I haven't heard from you. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I know my team reached out a few times, but you were busy. Our schedules didn't match up or, you know, the, the, whoever said that you were way too expensive or, Oh, he's never going to, you know, treat you the way he treats there You're going to get what she doesn't want. And, and that's not true because none of my clients ever look, the same like I don't use edits for. I don't like walk around with suitcases of edits that Zendaya didn't want and offer them to other people you know so it's that and and it's always those narrative and I've lost a bunch of clients that I really care for and really wanted to work with because of the gatekeepers
0: right so let's take it from the beginning Mm -hmm to just lay the the groundwork I think of how did you even get into fashion and what was that experience like
1: so when i talk about being from the streets and 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 kind of hustling my way um what happened was i started out of necessity i started to go and shop at the thrift store um because it was something that was familiar for me from my childhood and i just kind of made my way back and it was so crazy because this was the height of girlfriends and i saw this purse this long like clutch from the 50s and you know i was like oh my god that's a joan clayton clutch you know and so i just started buying stuff and collecting stuff and one day i had it all in the trunk of my car and um one of my friends one of my girlfriends she was like oh my god that bag she's like oh what are you gonna do with that can i buy it from you and so that turned into you know me going to the thrift store um changing a hem or like cinching a waist of a dress and you know I've always hung with a lot of beautiful women and having them all come in we had these little parties so that got me into selling vintage then I eventually had a brick and mortar store in Chicago then it was like the stylist thing started to happen and I knew stylists I knew of well I didn't know but I knew of Misa Hilton and June Ambrose and those things but that felt different to me to what what I was being introduced to. I was being introduced to the Hollywood side of styling. And then Rachel Zoe came around, that show came around, and I was just was like, I want I want to be, I want that. Like, I want that. And so that's how, um, when I came to Hollywood, that was the goal, to be able to go sit front row at, at fashion shows and to know the designers. And I remember one episode, she went back to say hello to uh, Mr. Armani. And I just thought that was like, I'm like, I want that life. You know, I want that career. And so I modeled or tried to model um, the things that I was manifesting to myself.
0: Okay. I mean, obviously your hustle has been a grind, but we often talk about nepotism in the industry. So what was that like for you to be able to actually hustle and get clients versus see other people Get clients and and get booked on your early days without much effort.
1: Well, I think I I was able to do it my own way. And I also had someone that we had made a promise to each other that that we would do everything in our power to elevate each other. Um, And that's Zendaya the way that we came into the industry, nobody wanted to touch either one of us. Like, nobody wanted to lend me clothes. Nobody wanted to dress her, because at that time, Disney girls wasn't considered real actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, Pinky swore to each other that, you know, I would do my part, she would do her part, and 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 we would do it together. And I think that allowed me to, to circumvent all the other ways that people become successful, the nepotism, you know, I've n- never assisted, never interned. Um, and I kind of just, I kind of fought my way and hustled my way. Like, you know, I think the the famous story is that I will only present Zendaya in clothes that other people had worn because at that time the weeklies were like a big thing who wore it best. And I figured out you know, it's about press. It's about whoever gets the most press gets the dress. And so I just kept figuring it out. You know, I just kept using everything I learned on the streets to figure it out. But the nepotism, especially on the Hollywood side, is so strong because these stylists, these, you know, white female stylists, they grew up with these white publicists and agents and they went to summer camp. And you know what I mean? And it's this network that I was able to, if we use the Oscars as an example, right? So every year, the industry knows the girls that's going to have a movie that's going to be in the running, mm-hmm. right? Those girls, when they come in, like, especially when it's their first film and they're new or whatever, they come in and they are automatically introduced to one of the 10, right? And so to be a stylist at my level and get to that level, you have to be able to work with one of those type of girls, right? That doesn't happen for Black stylists. You can look at the landscape and you can look and see the Black stylists that were able to reach a certain height is because of Black talent, right? That's why it hurts me so so bad when I see um, a black, Black talent work with a white stylist is because they have everything else. Like, all we have is you for the most part. And those women have everything else and everybody else. So it's like two bookstores next to each other and they have the exact same books, but you choose to go to the bookstore that's owned by the white person. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it doesn't make sense for me because we cannot elevate and expand without the t- the black talent. I was able to do it because one, the way I work, I think is different. And the way I see my job is different. Also because of music, because Ariana Grande gave me a shot when I was very green. You know, Ariana. choice, but that's the, music is different from Hollywood. Ari gave me a shot and then Celine Dion called me and changed my fucking life. So the industry had no other choice but to respect me and to let me in because I had did it a different type of way. I was green, like I was so green and they literally... Trusted me and gave me a shot, and so then, and then Zendaya becoming who she is. So I had the best of both worlds. Actually, you can l- look at the landscape of Hollywood stylists, like look at uh, everybody who was nominated and all that, and see who who see who the stylist was, and then go back and look last year and see everybody who was nominated, who the stylist was. It's the same group. It's the same group of women. Yeah.
0: I mean, there is Zendaya. There's Ani Taylor Joy. Mm-hmm. Ariana Grande, mm-hmm. Hunter Schaefer, Carrie Washington, mm-hmm. Celine Dion, mm-hmm. Priyanka Chopra, Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. I'm missing a lot of people, but I'm naming a lot of people because mm-hmm. um, you've completely changed the narrative. Yeah. And you've changed their careers. You've changed what people think about fashion and styling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that people also understand just how difficult your job is mm-hmm. and that it's not just pulling a look mm-hmm. um what does it look like start to finish and paint a picture for me of how it looks just as you're consulting on more than just what they're wearing and yeah. and and everything that yes. you're doing
1: when i started working with ann hathaway i was the first black stylist that was working with a-list white talent and it was a big deal right it was a big deal in the community of black stylists i think what it did was show the industry that we are just the talented, and we can do talent other than black girls. That was a really important moment in my career, and it was a really important moment for other people's careers. Um, it just wasn't happening. It just, it just absolutely wasn't happening. And you know, I, I didn't dress Anne at the beginning. I dress Ann when Ann is Anne, You know, Ann is you know Oscar in and like and it's a movie star right and so that what that did was gave actually other people hope that you know and other stylists that they can do it too and I think we saw you know um, Jason Bowden go on and style Angelina Jolie which was see you people don't understand like it's a pack of us right a very small pack of us and every time we have a win one of us have a win it feels like it's a win for everybody else because at the end of the day everybody wants the most successful career and the most diverse career that they can have, right? And everybody wants the opportunities. And unfortunately, you get more opportunities when you get to the place where you're addressing white women, just like everything else in, in this country, right? You're validated. Like even, even my career, like I'm validated by white establishments. I've never been invited to the BET Awards, I've never been given an award by Essence or NAACP. I wasn't even invited to NAACP. with all that wasn't there, like I've never been invited. You know, I've never been invited. I've never been celebrated by my own people. Like, So what I'm saying is that it doesn't matter until you're validated by the white establishment. And I've been, you know, lucky to get that validation. But it would mean so much more to me to be validated and appreciated from my own people. Yeah.
0: But what does that look like specifically when you're working with these big A-list people? Because it's not just picking out a look for this premiere. Like mm-hmm. you're consulting on so much. So what is that
1: what is what does that look like overall? There's a um a theory in psychology that says it's called the Gestalt theory. I think it said the whole is greater than the sum of the parts mm-hmm. and I have to control the whole right? Because again, it comes from my vision and my dreams and I see it, right? And so I have to see it in real life the way I see it in my mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, it's exhausting if you have a client in London and it's, you know, 4, 3 a.m. in LA and you have to be up and be alert and talk to hair and makeup about the look and, make sure that the earring is right and all that. And, you know, people say, well, you don't have to do all that. I was like, I I do because that's, that's my crazy, right? And it's also my vice. Like, I don't do drugs. I don't party. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a dog. I don't have any kids. <laughs> like, it's literally all that I have, you know?
0: But it's- you're also, you also consult so much on image overall. Yeah. It's not just... Yeah. the
1: specific of clothing. Yeah. I think it's also this career. So yeah. I have, to, I have to be able to create a narrative. And I have, I'm just a storyteller, honestly, Lindsay, like that's, at the end of the day, I am a storyteller and I use the clothes, um, as the words to, to get across the narrative get across the story and and yeah I do sit with clients and talk about the way that they will present the clothes on the carpet and the, the posing and I, I want you to feel like you're Dorothy Dandridge and you know this the way you the way you touch your hair and the way you bevel your you know what I mean like yeah I do all of that and and when I'm really close to my clients yes we do talk about career moves and and brands and that type of stuff but then that's another thing that the gatekeepers don't like. You know what I mean? Uh, the they don't like that. You know, it's that I'm gonna make this amount of money for a consultant about the whole thing. You know, so yeah, they don't they don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that.
0: I mean, there's been a lot of speculation as to. Uh, gatekeepers in general, into why. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the the Vuitton video has been circulating a ton, um, which I was there, but I didn't even see you there. <laughs> yes. yeah. But I saw the video of um, you and Zendaya coming up to the front row. Mm-hmm. What actually happened? Yeah, happened?
1: Yes. So we were we left on time, but we. I don't know if our driver went the wrong way, but we got stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it was also the way we came in. I don't know if this was for you, but it was a long walk. So it was a, a lot of anxiety because Zendaya is really respectful and she doesn't like people that have to wait on her. And so it was just anxiety. And so the VTAN team were like shuffling us as fast as possible um, to the seats. And so what happened was we have to remember that we just came from a house where she was the only face, the only ambassador, and everything. And even for years like I'm always used to sitting next to her. And so in my mind my seat was next to her. And so when I got there and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a problem but there was nobody to tell me where my actual seat was. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the seat behind her, when you see her t- turn around and touch the seat, it wasn't her telling me to sit there. It was t- her telling me, like, that's Darnell's seat, which is her assistant. I'm not going to sit in Darnell's seat. Right. You know what I mean? So then where where does he go? Right. And so I was standing there. I was really just kind of confused. And remember, we had just made a mad dash to get there. So it's anxiety like you sweating. I got this suit on, the hair, the wit. You know, we hot, you know, trying to trying to make it. And so that was the thing was because I'm coming from a house that I know where my seat is, right? It's next, it's right next to her. It's always right next to her because that's part of our relationship and our interaction, seeing the clothes together and the, the you know, the little cues and a little touch, like that's the look, you know? And so somebody was like, Law, you have to sit. And I was like, I don't know where I'm sitting. Right. I don't know where I'm sitting. And that became really tough because one, it made people think that Zendaya wasn't taking care of me and wasn't making sure I wasn't taken care of. And then it became this thing with, with Delphine Arnaud, And I was like, where did that come from? And so now I have a beef with LVMH and there's no beef with LVMH. You know, um, Delphine and the Arnaud family have been so kind to me. Like even after the show we once had after the party, like I had a whole conversation with her and, you know, congratulated her on her move to Dior and you know and just like she sent me a beautiful a beautiful bag and it's like there's no beef and I think also that play into because everybody thinks that I have this beef I'm just beefing with LVMH for what people think which is crazy but this beef from the Anya Taylor-Joy thing um and me kind of standing up for myself um against I had collaborated with Dior on a couple dresses for Anya. When the looks came out, it was very much, you know, no credit to the stylist. People had to understand, when we do customs for clients, there's a process, right? It's a back and forth. It's a collaboration between the designer, the atelier, and us, right? Because we are the liaison between them for the client and to make sure that they're happy because we know what they want more than... The house does right, and so I had worked really hard on on looks for Anya, and so it came out, and it was just like, oh, you know, this this take this took forty hours, and this fabric, and all that and this design, and they showed a sketch and all that, and I'm and I was just like, I felt a certain type of way, and not just for myself, that we don't erase me, don't erase me, don't don't erase my contribution to this look and to this dress don't don't erase you know me all the phone calls and emails and text messages and going back and forth and and me working to make sure that my client was happy right don't don't erase that and when I did do that like I got so many dms for other styles like thank you for doing that because they did the same thing to me or they've been doing the same thing to me for years. And my biggest thing, and and anybody who knows me knows, like, I don't mind being the first or taking a hit from something to make sure that people don't have to go through the same things. And when I say people, I mean Black people. <laughs> it is my everything to make sure that people who look like me get to benefit off the fight, right?
0: But I think you have to understand, I mean, even you publicly saying, hey, Dior, you need to give me credit, that that takes a lot of bravery. It takes
1: a lot of bravery because again, LVMH is very powerful in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I had to be okay and and have no fear to say it's just not right. It's not right for a war season. All that we get dresses from houses and we take the dresses apart. We take the dresses apart, like we take we add here. Take this, do that, and we should we sh- there should be some appreciation for that, and they should also pay us for that. Right. It's work, it's work, and you should pay us a rate that is attractive and and shows your gratitude. You know, like you, we should be paid for that. We all should be paid for that. It's work. It's work. Why should we do it for free? Because it's this big house. No, it's, it's that's not the way it should work. And the one thing about me, I've said this before, I need to know what the rate is. <laughs> What's the rate, you know? Have you had situations
0: like this with other brands where you feel like they weren't giving you the respect that you deserve?
1: Um. No, I haven't. I, I had the most incredible time and working relationship with Valentino with Pia Paolo, he has no ego. He has he is a true talent with no ego. And every single time, every time we did something, the first thing it would be thank you law, tag, luxury law, text messages, flowers. Um you know, never. I never had that with anybody else. Yeah.
0: I mean, as Black people in fashion, we have to deal with so many gatekeepers. And outwardly, I think it's frustrating because the industry says we love inclusivity, we love diversity, we love all these things. But there are so few of us that actually have an understanding of what it's like behind the scenes. Um, What has your experience been like in trying to get past the gatekeepers?
1: Some people don't care, right? Some of the gatekeepers, they don't care about the clothes, right? You know, if it's an agent, manager, publicist. Some of them don't care. They like, you know, we trust you. She trusts you. As long as she happy, I don't care. But then there's some that want to come to the fitting and want to have an opinion and, you know, want to pick the dress or say that that's not the right dress and all that. And I don't work like that. My work is proven. And if you are a girl that wants to tell a story or have a huge moment or then you come to me. Like, and... Everybody knows that. Everybody knows my work, and everybody knows what what my work does and how that impacts someone's career. Honestly, some people like I don't care. You know what I mean? And they're like, I'm doing other things. Like I'm I'm managing this press tour. <laughs> like I'm setting up these interviews, and you know I'm making sure all this has. And other person like, we're working on a deal or whatever. I don't care about clothes, and I'm not going to the publicist and saying, um, Did you make sure that that she has that interview on the BBC? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to do your job, so don't try to do mine, you know? And I'm very, I'm very outspoken to say that, like, no, you can't come to the fitting, you know? Unless the client was like, oh, I really want, you. but if it's someone like, what time is the fitting? I'm gonna show up. No, you're not, you know? Cause you're not a stylist. Right. You're not a stylist. I'm not a publicist. So, Our job shouldn't overlap in that way. Your job is to let me know the schedule. And my job is to take the schedule and make sure to have all the clothes and the client feels beautiful. And why does it have to be more than that? It's especially with me. I just always feel like these people want to control me. And it's also the feeling of, you know, this is the worst. And this also happens when I'm working with non-Black talent. It's this It's this emotion of, I'm supposed to be grateful because I'm dressing the white girl. You know, I'm supposed to be grateful. Um, but I'm like, no, she's supposed to be grateful that she's working with me because I'm changing her life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. and I, I mean that as humbly as possible, but like, it can't be debated. Yeah. Like, it can't be debated. I'm one of the only stylists that really actually changes and helps change the trajectory of people's careers through fashion.
0: And let's go back to 5 years ago. Mm-hmm. You probably don't remember, but it's already 5 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um when I did the Black and Fashion piece. Mm-hmm. And we talked for hours mm-hmm. on the phone about just how you were feeling then and I wanted to quote back to you something because my goal in that piece was obviously talking about the industry is saying that we're so progressive and not much has changed um and the piece you talked about there's a need for black talent to work with black creatives how the cycle of publicists hiring the same stylist perpetuates this idea that only certain people can help your career um five years later do you feel like racism in the industry has really even changed or
1: shifted? I mean 5 years later I literally just made that same point. <laughs> it, you know it's a it's a it's a club, right? It's it's these women that have been working with each other for 20 years and you know the the, the thing about it is that I won't say there's always racism, right? To be really honest with you, people like to work with people they're comfortable with, but if you are a person of privilege of power, you have to you have to be okay to release that every now and again, right? You have to be able to be secure enough to give somebody who doesn't look like you an opportunity, and that's what doesn't happen, right? They. They want to work with the same stylist and say, and we get it, right? You're comfortable. You know, the job is going to get done. But if you are really going to be progressive and forward thinking and not be a part of the problem, you have to release some of that power. And and that's the only way that, that the dynamic and the landscape of what I do is going to change. Some of these white stylists have to say, you know what? That's not for me. This black girl who I don't understand her body or her hair texture or all this, it's not, it's not right for me. Let's give it to someone who we know can do the job and let's give it to them. But that's not the way it works because it's a money thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't want to release that and they don't want to release the power. To really be her ally and to really stand strong to all these things that people have been talking about talking about, you have to release some of that power you have to make the decision and say this ain't for me this ain't for me this would be better there because a lot of times you see them these just these women and if the women aren't you know sample size or small or have a body type that they they didn't grow up with it's never good. you gotta let that go if you're gonna be a true ally. And again, be forward-thinking and progressive in the thinking. You have to give the opportunity to someone who doesn't look like you.
0: I do want to bring up something since we're talking about the press. Um, We talked about Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Mm -hmm. And specifically, there was a quote in People the other day where she said... um, I've been told many things that are difficult to hear in my job. The pressure is so intense. You can't really show the chinks in your armor. Um, someone told me yesterday that I wasn't sample sized. I was hurt and disgusted with my family. And I cried to my husband um, and my team. And I felt really bad about the fact that I'm not sample size. And that that's a problem, apparently, that most of us are not a sample size, which is a two. Um, and you, you obviously you know, have worked with her for the past couple of years. What is it like, though, when you read things like that in the press?
1: Um, it, was a, it was a little bit hurtful in a way that it ended up in the press. You know, because that wasn't the real conversation. That was, I, and I've never had that conversation with her, ever. I'm never known for hanging out with my clients. Like, I don't go to dinner. I don't have drinks. Like, I don't do that. Priyanka, it was one of the few that when we traveled, I was always excited to travel with her because I know we had the most incredible conversations, the most incredible bottles of wine, you know, dinners. I think that Priyanka is one of the most intelligent, interesting women that I've ever worked with mm-hmm. and beautiful we have the same Zodiac. We have the same, like, idiosyncrasies. Like, one day we were together and we both went in our bag and we put out the exact same look, Killian travel spray. I'm like, we are the same fucking person. But I will say that when I came into that situation, I did have a huge problem with the gatekeepers. The hu- A huge problem. Wanted to be involved in every, wanted to pick the dress, you know, was really disrespectful to me. And... I thought that we had moved past that. I thought that we had built a relationship where we were really friendly and I've been working with Priyanka for 4 years. She's technically never been sample size. And I feel like I've gave her some of her strongest and most beautiful looks over this time that that we've been working together. So that was kind of hurtful for me that it went to the press, but I'm I'm just like but you're the same woman that I've been dressing for four years and have enjoyed dressing for four years. And, you know, and and Priyanka has advocated for me, you know, when when we did brand things and people didn't want to give me my pay me what I think I deserve, because this is the one thing I'm not going to take the same amount of money as hair and makeup because I don't do the same job. Right. And when I'm privy to knowing those rates and and I'm like, I'm not doing it because I don't do the same job as them. No disrespect. They pack bags. They come. They do hair. They put on makeup. They repack their bags. They go. I have to prep for days. I have pre-production. I have Mm post-production. I shouldn't get paid the same amount. And Priyanka is one of the clients who always fought for me to get as close to, if not. The amount of money that I should be making. So for me to read that and just to feel like I was thrown under the bus in a way was a bit hurtful for me. But also I did have a conversation about about clothes with one of her gatekeepers. And I was very honest about you know, what I was and wasn't going to do. And so I don't know how that was articulated to her or how they took it back to her. But to say that I guess she's talking about me and said that she was emphasized, I'm like, but you never have been. And, and that has never been a problem for me. Right. You know, my job is to, and this is what I told the gay people, I'm saying what I plan on doing is getting the best clothes that I could possibly get right. because she's going on this really, you know, amazing press tour and, and my job is to get the best clothes and the best dress wins. Always, you know, and when there's opportunities for me to do custom, like I put her in that in the Robert room before any of the girls was doing it. Like that was custom, you know what I mean? Like, so I work really hard and it's just like it was a bit hurtful. But I also don't know the way they presented my words to her. Maybe I heard her. Or what they told her hurt her, you know, and, you know, maybe she, maybe it did make her emotional or whatever, because we have this bond, but it's, it's the gatekeepers. So you'll see if I'm not working with her, you'll see what the person who will work with her looks like. Right. And it's not going to look like me. I'll tell you that.
0: Well, obviously not. Yeah. 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 Um, what are what are some of these narratives that you feel like people have perpetuated about you in the industry? Because I know you were saying that, you know, you felt like specifically the PR teams are really difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them. Not all of them, so, but, yeah. but can be difficult when you're yeah. communicating with talent. Directly. Um, what are some of the narratives that you have experienced or you feel like have happened behind the scenes that yeah. people don't realize?
1: It's the, I'm difficult, I'm a diva. I'm my own celebrity, so I'll never really have time for you. I'm nasty. I'm mean. But again, I, I first of all, my last name is Roach. I've always been a very feminine boy, right, growing up. I have... I've always had to defend myself. I've always had to fight, and that has never left me, right? So if I feel... If I feel disrespected in any type of way, I'm ready for a fight. A lot of people in on that side of the industry, they don't understand that. So when that happens, oh, he's he's difficult. You know, he's he again, he's a diva or he's disrespectful or something, something like that. But it's like, no, it's just, it's my defense mechanism. If I feel Attack, I'm going to attack back. You know, I don't I've never learned the the diplomacy of like, oh well, just let it go. It's like, no, if if you if I hear you you saying something or you're doing this thing, I'm going to call you and say, hey, what's up? Like, what are you doing? Like, no, that's not true. And that's that's what I was doing on the phone. That that phone call that kind of like pushed me over the edge. It's just like, why? I'm defending myself and telling this woman, like, you're lying to my client. and This is the way we lose clients. But in this turn of events, it's the reason why the client lost me. I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to always defend myself. Right. Yeah.
0: And what do you feel like when you have tried to work with clients and tell them, you know, I don't, this is the way that I work or. Yeah. If, you know, you, we've talked about, you said, you know, an agent calling me saying I'm late or different things like that. What has it been like to try to communicate and defend yourself when you know that your counterparts, other stylists don't have to deal with that at all?
1: It's, it's really tough. And it's like I never, I never feel protected. You know, I mean, I have certain clients that is like just leave him alone, you know, like leave him alone, let him work. He he doesn't work in a traditional sense. Let let him be the artist that he is. Mm-hmm. And, and when it's that, you can look at the work and know who are the clients that let me create. I remember with Celine Dion one day, she pulled me this out. She said, if anybody ever tries to stagger you or your creativity, let me know because I want you to fly. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Zendaya. You know, people think that I, she wears whatever I want. She doesn't. It's a collaboration. But if I say Zendaya, my spirit says this is the dress. She'll say this is the dress. You know, it's just, it's only so many that really give me that, um, and those are the ones that that the work becomes iconic and legendary, and people talk about it because it's that it's the synergy that I need, and it's the it's the ability an allowance to be able to fly, right? It's always the best.
0: Being able to do that though, you're obviously putting so much time and energy into those looks and yeah. the and the relationships with yeah. people. Um and we were talking before this about how a lot of other stylists don't have to hustle or work as hard. Yeah. Um financially, like what has that been like to know, you know, and to fight for your pay equity to say, look, this is what I deserve, or what what have you heard about other
1: stylists and and what they're making versus Yeah. I'll tell you a story about that. So I was doing a job and there was a couple other stylists on the same job. And so it got back to me that one of the stylists was making probably like five thousand dollars more than me. Not couldn't taken away from anybody at work, but I know the way I work I know the impact that my work has, like social and, and you know, just the impact of, you know, what this look and the picture means financially and how it equates to, you know, marketing dollars and all that. And I know that I bring more to the table when it comes to that than a lot of other people. And so when I found out that that she was making $5,000 more than me, I went to my agent and and he said, oh, I just can't believe that. And I think what happens in this country that it's instinctual that we're not worth as much. Mm -hmm. And so I told him, I said, you have to understand what you just said to me and what that means to me as a Black person, because I didn't ask you to believe it. I asked you to get me the same amount or more. You know, I am worth just as much or more than her. There has been programming in this country that that we don't deserve the same amount or the same pay. And it's across the industries, period. And so once I explained it to him, he felt really, really bad. And it's like, I didn't mean it that way. I just didn't, she's not the same type of level. But when I'm telling you, I've heard from a credible source, I've seen the deal memo. You know, this industry is also shady, right? I've seen the demo and so I'm not telling you I feel like she's making more money than me. I'm telling you that I know she's making more money and for you to say, you don't believe it. I don't want, you don't have to believe it Mm -hmm. because I'm showing you the proof. So what your job is as my protector is to go and say, hell no, we're not taking that. Mm -hmm. But that's this country, right? Mm -hmm. We are still fighting to show that we are worth just as much or more than them.
0: Yeah. And what do you feel like when you've had the conversations with people of knowing that, you know, you're dressing 10, 11 clients in one night and then others do one and and they're making millions of dollars? Like, what is that like?
1: I mean, it's the same thing that we've been doing as black people for the last, what? 300 years, right? Still trying to make a space for ourselves, still trying to make spaces for people that's coming behind us. It's the same thing. It's just fashion, right? It's no different than any other industry. It's no different than the fight of, you know, Black actresses fighting to make the same amount and the same salaries as their white counterparts. It's the same thing. It's like, it's no different for us, right? But I think in fashion and especially styling, in Hollywood, people advocate for themselves up, right? So an actress will advocate for herself. Uh, She will advocate for a producer. She'll advocate for a director, but they don't advocate down. They don't say, let's make sure the costume designer is doing this, is making this amount of money. Or let's make sure that, you know, the person at Crafty you know, looks like us or has a chance to do this. These are all jobs that 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 people need to take care of their family, but no one's advocating down, you right? And so my whole thing is I want to advocate down, right? Like, I don't want to just advocate for myself. I want to make sure that when I'm on a set that there's someone on the production team that's working, that looks like me, or the photo team that's working and and that looks like me or the PAs or, you know, something. So, so I don't have a problem using whatever this power or platform I have to, to advocate, not just myself and across the board, but Mm -hmm. down as well. When you get a real ally at a brand, you know, and it's happened, it's happened to me a bunch of times where they're like, Oh, um, well, just to let you know, not trying to be messy. But such and such, such and such, you know, this is what they made. And, you know, law, we think that you did a a better job. Yeah.
0: What would you say is one of the most racist experiences or things that's happened to you working on set or in fashion?
1: Early on, I, I used to be privy to like emails where they'd be like, well, who's this black boy? You know, stuff like that. When I really first started getting invited to the shows... Um, when I would be sitting front cause I was so excited. I was early, you know, I didn't know like, oh, this show is going to be 30 minutes late. Like I'm on time. i am sitting. I'm waiting. A very excited, very grateful. And the PR person would come and say, um, can I see your ticket? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or somebody would be sitting in the wrong seat and they automatically come to me and say, I need you to get out of that seat. That's not your seat. And I'm like, but it is my seat. You know, and, I, and then I'll say, well, why did you pass everybody else to get to me? Because I guess the black boy can't be sitting front row. And, you know, the dynamic has changed with that front row over these last few years. It used to be, yeah. I mean, it's still not a lot, yeah. but it used to be a few. It used to be Edward, you know, Jenke um, maybe, you know, it was it was not that so when they saw me, it, I had to be the 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 front row crasher, like I just had to be. Like I would watch and I would know what they were doing. I would watch them walk past everybody. Um, you know, you see, and it still kind of happens. You know, now the the main person be like, they'll run over, and basically be like, are you fucking crazy? That's law roads. You know what I mean? And I'll just sit there. But yeah, like for years when I started going to the shows, especially in Europe. Especially Europe. They, they have a way of making you feel like that you're not supposed to be there.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you've gotten to a point where you feel appreciated?
1: I do feel appreciated. And me announcing my retirement has kind of um, strengthened that for me. I do by younger people who look like me. My career, I'm happy with what I've done. I'm happy with the accomplishments. I'm happy that I have be been able to be a reference point of a successful black man in this industry in, in styling. Because I didn't have a reference point. And people can make the comparison with Andre and but it's really no comparison between my work and my career and what he did. So now this younger generation and all my fashion babies have a real reference point to say, oh, well, Law was able to do that, so I know I can do it because, you know, representation is everything, right? And, you know, I was still chasing this white woman's career and that dream, and now people can say, oh, I want, I want to be able to do what Law did, you know? So that, yes, I feel appreciated.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, has there been a time where you regret speaking up, or you regret not speaking up?
1: Um, I think not more than speaking up, like because you know, again, like it is what it is, and I like I feel like because I am from where I from where I'm from, I can always go back and you know, I'll I'll always I'll always find somewhere to be successful, right? If I choose to go to medical school and be a dentist, I'll be the very fucking best dentist. Until you put your life or livelihood on the line, then you're not that. Everybody, especially when we were going through the Black Lives Matter movement in George Floyd, everybody's became a, you know, I'm an advocate for for this and for that. And people, and people start to put that tag on me. And I'm like, until you put your life or livelihood on the line, then you are not that. You are just somebody who are throwing out your opinion. Right. And so this last few years, I feel like I can take more ownership in that because I have put my livelihood on, on the line to say certain things and to stand up um, for myself. So what's going to happen with all your clients now? Um, they're going to find a new stylist. <laughs> and people are like, oh, you're not going to leave Zendaya. You're not going to nostalgia style Zendaya. But I don't have to style Zendaya to be a part of her team. And her creative team, right? So maybe if I choose, you know, not to be her stylist, I can still be her creative director and I can still, you know, manage a stylist or however I choose to I haven't made a decision and she's given me the grace to be able to make that decision because uh, because we really have a, a kinship. Like, you know, we've grown up together. Um and 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 that's all I ever asked was for people who I worked so hard for to just give me grace when I need it.
0: Outside of her, everybody is gonna have to find this stuff.
1: Everybody's gonna have to find another star. Let's get somebody else to do it. <laughs> and you know what, Lindsay, honestly, when my three year old nephew died, I never felt anything like that before, right? And I think this that also has been Um, pushing this retirement because it kind of made me understand that I had no other priorities other than my work because when he passed away he was three and I had only been able to see him maybe I saw him when he was born I saw him on Christmas one time and then I saw him around our birthday. So I had only been able to see him 3 times in his whole life. And so when I started to think about all the all the joy from being around kids and not being able to ever know what he who he would be and you know, I don't want kids but I do want to to always have an opportunity to to help raise kids. I was on the verge of suicide, honestly, the guilt of not being in his life enough and not really knowing him enough had put me into a really dark depression. And I had never been depressed in my life. Mm-hmm. So I my brain couldn't really understand right. what was happening. And it was just all this guilt, all this guilt, all this guilt. And then I don't have a strong relationship with his father, which is my brother. So then I was guilty because I didn't know how to love him. I didn't know how to support him and to love him because because we didn't we never had a a real strong relationship and so so then I was guilty because of that because my brother was suffering and you know and suicidal and I didn't know how to help him. So that gave me more guilt and so and dealing with this new thing depression I had never dealt with. And then you know I had a client whose whose manager um it was so that happened he died a day before Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and you know then we go into and so I was on a retainer with a client and his manager and I'll never forget this his manager said oh yeah but you really didn't do anything in December (laughs) I didn't say anything but it kind of haunts me that that people don't see me sometimes as human and and that I don't deserve grace, you know. Uh, so, so that tough me. So it's been a lot of little things that's been happening over the last couple of years that have been pushing me towards towards this decision of retiring. Um, you know, I just I need to I need to learn how to give myself grace, and I need to learn how to let people know that I am human. Um, because I've been able to be in two or three places at the same time. Like I've mastered that, you know, in, in, in my own little way. And I need to figure out, you know, how to love me um, and how to accept love and, um, and, and how not to suffer.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I mean, we saw you last night Mm -hmm. walking at the Boss Show. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Um, What else do you have coming up? Which I know the Boss thing was a long time in the works, um, which people thought it was random.
1: People thought it was a PR stunt that I was retiring so that I could walk in a Boss Show. I'm like, people, you have to understand, that's been four or five months in in the making. And, you know, they they were really kind, but it was like, well, you know, if you don't think you can do it, um you know, we understand if you pull out. And I say, I'm a black little gay boy. I've been learning how to walk in heels and pumps since I was six. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm ready for this show. And you know what what was the most beautiful thing about it? It was about me. Um, and I felt like it was about me and I really felt alive last night. Because I didn't have I didn't have to go in somebody else's dressing room and get them dressed and um or make sure that I had everything or my sister. it was they made it. It was about me. It was about me as law. And I felt, I felt almost born again, to be honest with you. I was so happy last night. I woke up this morning to get on my flight and I was just, I I had forgot what joy felt like. And, um, and I'm very grateful to them. I think people can look
0: at your life and see, okay, you get to sit front row, you get to work with all these celebrities, you get clothes, all these fabulous things, but what does it feel like internally now?
1: Um, well, w- w- you know, I said, like none of that was for me though. You know, me, you, and as a stylist, you only as good as your last look. So when I go to the shows and all that, that's work. That's not for me. You know, that's, that's, for um ammunition in a way to go out and to kill that next look cuz we I'm only as good as I'm only as good as the people I dress and I'm only as good as my last look and that's a lot of pressure
0: and now you feel that pressure is lifted
1: I do mm. I feel last night and this morning I just I feel so free like I feel a freedom that I don't remember ever feeling Um, and, and no matter what, you know, if I come back, um, which I don't have plans on coming back, you know, I have plans on doing other things, you know, like collaborations with brands and, um, even my Herve Leger collaboration, like I look at that and I say that it could have been so much better, but I was also, I also dressed 11 clients. So everything for me, it's always secondary to them, and I was like, I looked at it and it made me sad. I was like, if I had, if I had more time and more um, attention, support, this, it would have been more successful than it was, you know. But everything is client first. Right. Yeah. So no Met Gala. No Met Gala. Cancelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: so what is this next era? going to be like for you? What are you excited about? You
1: know, so many other things I want to do. I got a book deal a year ago and I have not been able to, I have a deadline that's coming up really and I have had no time to work on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been announced yet but I've been made the um, creative director of um, of a brand, mm-hmm. a footwear brand so I'm excited about that because um, now I really get to create in a different type of way mm-hmm. um you know I, I still do I want to do more personality driven stuff so you might see me doing red carpet correspondence because I never had a chance to do it because how can I be a correspondent when I've got 11 people at the Met Gala you know um and I hope people start to see me more as um as me as as law as the person and you know Um, and I want to do more things like with boss, um, you know, maybe somebody invite me to the (laughs) mat. Um, because every time I've been, it's been, you know, I went with Zendaya, but it was with Zendaya. I went, you you know, I curated that table for Lewis Hamilton, but that was for Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, so I want to, I want to do things and, and use my personality, um, no I might have a talk show or a podcast or you know anything I just I just wanna prove to myself that I can do more than be of service to other people i I feel alive Lindsay like and I know it's only been a couple of days but I feel alive like you know I wanna i don't I literally and I keep using the word suffering because it's the only word that that I can um like I don't have any friends. Like I don't have any relationships. Like everything that could bring me joy has been suppressed because of the work, and and for a long time. And I'm trying to. And I just was masking it and hiding and and being this this persona of you know luxury law, law roche the stylist, and not realizing that I was miserable. So I just. I just want to breathe. I want to fly. I want to be happy. I want to figure other things out, you know, and I think not doing that job is going to give me the time and an ability to to just try some other stuff. And if I fail at everything else, then I fail at everything else. We know I'm a good stylist, so shit. (laughs) (laughs) I always got a job. Somebody give me a job somewhere, you know, but yeah.
0: I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our lead producer is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brendan McFarlane. And our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. Special thanks to Dania's house. I'm Lindsay Peoples and thank you so much for listening.